listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. Amen. Come on, let's continue to thank the Lord. Come on, let's give God praise. Thank you so much. Wow, that's awesome. You know, God has spoken so much already in our service. Did you know that? It's amazing. If you just catch for many of us today that, you know, that's probably all that you need to hear today. And, um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my little bit um, before we finish. Just a couple of announcements as we've seen already. Don't forget our prayer meeting on Monday night, 7.30 going to be a great time together. And also for those that's been given to our building fund, thank you so much for your kindness and your generosity. I will give more updates as soon as we get some more facts in the next week or so. So please continue to give if you can. And we thank you for that too. Also, just a reminder that next week, Sunday the 2nd, we'll be back in Gladstone Road. And in that service, particularly, we're going to be praying for Lee, Jackie and the family as it will be their last weekend with us. This will be their last Sunday in the Savoy. Come on, let's thank God for their lives. <clears throat> we appreciate them for all the hard work and service over the last three years. And, and next Sunday at Gladstone Road, remember, put it in your diary, 10.30. We're going to have a time of worship, and then we're also going to pray for them and bless them. And so what we'd like to do as well, we're taking our normal offering, but we are going to take a love offering for them. So please come prepared. So we were going to do that next week for them. And after, we'll have time for tea, coffee, and some cakes together. So we want to appreciate them and send them in as they go to their new assignment in the coming weeks. So just remember, next Sunday, Gladstone Road, okay? The week after, back here. The 16th, back at Gladstone Road. And then that's all our journey. I think God is trying to get us ready not to be comfortable in one place. It's amazing, isn't it? So please remember those or you'll be coming here next week on your own and get disappointed. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew 21. This is our last sermon today on Build the House campaign. And on the 16th, we start our new campaign and it's on faith. We want to explore faith because I believe at this moment our church is moving into that area where we have to trust God more than ever in our lives. So we're going to look at the whole topic of faith. Matthew 21 says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind, the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. As you look through the New Testament, there are many metaphors that describe the church. That is me and you. So as you go through a few, there is the bride of Christ, there is the temple, there is the field, salt, light, the body, the family, soldiers, workmanship, and also the house of God. Hebrews tells us that Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope 
in which we glory. I want you to know, and as many of you will already know, that the building is not the church, that we are the church, that we are God's house, our house. And as Jesus enters the temple, it's in all four Gospels, and you can read little bits of differences. One says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, and then some that will say that, you know, the, 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 the zeal for God's house consumes me. And then in John, it tells it that Jesus got a whip and he, and he drove them out of the temple. And so as you, you look at this story, you know, have you ever thought about this story? Have, have you ever thought about what happened that Jesus, when he goes into his temple to, have, to assess what's going on, he looks at everything around and he's unhappy? You know, and there are times when I believe that in, in, in church life, in, in, in different parts of our lives, that Jesus will come and have a look around. He'll look around in a corporate body and he'll look around in our individual lives at our own houses and he'll have a look. And you know, I, I, I pray that, that we sung these songs today, that Jesus be the center of my house. And we want that to be the case. We don't want Jesus to, to do what he did with, in this temple. I can, can you just grasp the story? Can you imagine if you came to church today? Just think about it, and those of you online as well. Can you imagine you coming to church this morning, excited for a word of faith message, for a message to encourage you and strengthen you, and I just jumped off the stage and started kicking chairs over, and then started getting some people and throwing them out of the church. I mean, that would be an awesome Instagram experience after Sunday, wouldn't it? Can you imagine that? But do you know something? That's what happened at church. And Jesus actually did it. He went off it. He said, this is not acceptable. And he turned tables over. Money changes. Money was everywhere. Tables were turned and he threw them out. He didn't allow people even to go through the temple. And can you imagine that on a Sunday service? You have to understand that this is Jesus doing this. And so I know sometimes when we preach and if you go, oh, that was quite strong, you want to look at Jesus. In this moment, can you imagine what it'd be like now around the Christian circles on Facebook? Did you know what happened at church today? Pastor kicked off. <laughs> and he threw people out of church. And I thought to myself today, I wonder if this could be a new strategy for church growth. I mean, I just think about some silly ideas. Because when he got rid of some people, more people came. Church growth. But I'm not quite sure if that's the case. Jesus turning tables over, challenging standards of those who proclaim they followed him. You see, when we keep quiet, and never challenge anybody about their life and how we live for God, Jesus is not pleased. And we can keep the temple all pretty, lights flashing, all the equipment, all, all the videos, all the stuff that goes with having an experience on a service. But the heart of it is, the question is, is God pleased with our house? Because that's the bottom line. Jesus be the center 
of it all. We just don't want to sing those songs and not actually believe that that's what God wants of us. In every area of our life, a lot's been spoken about finances today and God wants that to be centre. But I believe that God wants all of our lives to be centre. And so our priority, especially as leaders of a church, it may look good on Facebook, but what is it like at the heart of the community? Is Jesus look at Northampton Elam and go, we can do something with that congregation. We can see the heart in that congregation. And I believe that God is doing something in our season where he's saying we can do something with the heart of this church. It's going to be a faith challenge, but I can, I can, I can see something with the heart of it. And so I want to say to you that it's really important, this passage, that it is a serious sermon for Jesus to do. And I'm sitting there thinking, if I was in the service, I think I don't know if I'm going to go back to that church. Because that pastor was quite angry. So angry, he just flipped chairs over. Free people out of the church. But you know something? Jesus was looking at the heart of the problem. And so I want to say to you that Jesus probably says the same things about some churches too. See, the heart of the problem is the heart. And as a church, no matter what God does for us and through us, he has to get the glory. Has to be about him, for him, and everything around him. Because the greatest thing that we can do with our lives as a church and individuals is that we live to please God. It's not so much about our ministries, about our fame, it's about him. And so the foundation of this passage is that Jesus goes into his temple and the reason why he was so mad is because the people that he longed to reach was not allowed into church. So he had to get rid of some religious people. Do you realise that the only confrontation that Jesus had was religious people? He never had a problem with sinners. Every sinner Jesus encountered in the Bible, he forgave them, he loved them, he gave them a brand new start, he gave them instruction, he gave them grace. But every confrontation was with a religious spirit. Everyone. In fact, it was a religious spirit that put him on the cross, as well as the sins of the world. But every bit of trouble that Jesus had was with the, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those that was leading the church in those days. So what does it say to us in our lives that Jesus is passionate about his church? Jesus is passionate about our lives as individuals who represent the body of Christ that we live to please the Lord. See, I don't think we should start a ministry of throwing people out of the church. Please don't misquote me. I also don't believe that we should stand outside churches and protest because they're selling books or some kind of stuff for the church. I don't believe we should do that because you understand what is the motive of it. You know, I remember when I first got saved, I was so enthusiastic about serving the church and wanting to help my pastor that I said to him one day, I said, um, is it okay if we use the car park for a boot sale? And everything we earn, we'll give to the church. Now, I was only a Christian about two weeks. So I thought, you know what? The church was right on the corner of a busy road. 
big car park. The church was financially struggling. So I just thought, you know what? Let's use some my old um, trade business mind. Let's open a boot sale and give the money to the church. And the pastor said, that's an awesome idea. Thank you so much for even thinking that way. Until he had a couple of letters, because they never had email in them days. Letters and verbal communication from a couple of members who said, this is an abomination to the Lord. Because you're using this car park and it's becoming a den of robbers. God help us. Thankfully, the pastor said, you continue with the boot sale. And we brought hundreds of pounds into the kingdom to help in that season. And also, people who had never, ever come through the church car park filled that car park with people and families that would never, ever enter the church. And so we have to be really careful that we don't develop a religious spirit because a religious spirit will kill the life of God in any congregation and in your own personal walk with God. See, a religious spirit is dead and there's no life in it. And because Jesus was so mad, because in the temple there was no life, just death, just selfish ambition, and no room for nobody that, who Jesus came for. And so I want to say to you today that Jesus came to seek and save those that were lost. And we as a church, we always got to remember that we exist to engage with people that don't know Jesus. And so I think it's awesome that we come together and we're brothers and sisters, but listen, we're here to exist for the world. And the thing that will kill us it's something that Jesus wanted to get rid out of his church and it was a religious spirit that was killing and stifling the work of God. So let's look at the context. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Jesus was a, Jesus was a master communicator. I know if you don't know the background of this, you understand, well, we quoted that, yeah, we need prayer in the church, but understand the context. So Jesus looks at the mess of the temple and look at the heart of the people that was robbing people blind. And he looks and he walks into the temple and he said, my house shall be a house of prayer. And he's quoting Isaiah from the Old Testament where Isaiah begins to declare that my house shall be a house of prayer. And he's actually declaring that to a disobedient Israel and cast judgment on their lives. So when the people heard Jesus say, my house shall be a house of prayer, they knew that he's referring to the judgment that Isaiah gave to the people of God at that time because of their hypocrisy. And then he quotes the second verse, but you have made it into a den of robbers, Jeremiah chapter 7. Again, he takes them back to the scripture where Jeremiah is at the temple gates giving his, one of his biggest sermons and, and, and jud bringing judgment on their sins. And the sins in that time at the temple was exactly the same sins that Jesus walked into in the temple. My house should be called a house of prayer, Isaiah judgment. And you have made it into a den of robbers, Jeremiah. And then people would be awakened by the word of God in the context of the people of God living in disobedience to him. And so Jesus rattles them with the word. And he's saying the religious leaders 
And some of the people were using the temple and the Jewish religion to cover up their sin. And you know, we have to be careful in our, in our own day today that we don't use church as a label to cover up our sin and our lifestyle. And we frame it in Christianity in that we're churchgoers. But the heart of our lives is living contrary to being a Jesus follower. So they turned the temple courts, the courts where the Gentiles should have come and also the foreign Jews would come and, and give worship to God. They were supposed to be a witness in the temple. And to allow people to come into the temple that never knew God and they were there to demonstrate who the God of Israel was to them. But what they did, they set up tables and they made their own currency in the temple. And the only way you could make sacrifices was to buy their money, which they, um, they sold extortionately to people that traveled for miles away to buy a sacrifice. So they were selling their money at extortionate prices to buy animals to give sacrifice to God. And they were ripping people off. And they couldn't go anywhere else for an exchange rate because it was Annas, the, 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 um, one of the ex-priests who was in charge of the temple with his sons who was making sure he was the mafia over this corruption. So Jesus goes, what are you doing? The temple, the church, your house is supposed to be available to allow people to come and find me. But you have made it into a den of robbers. You're putting people off. You're stopping people coming to my presence. So Jesus removes them. I don't blame him. And as soon as he removes them, it says the blind, the lame came to him and he healed them. See, I love Jesus because Jesus hasn't got a religious bone in his body. And I, I just pray that as a church, that we will not get so religious that we miss out on the purpose of why God saved us in the first place. Number one is to love God with everything that we've got. And then secondly, love our neighbour as ourselves, And that's our priority as a church. And so Warren Worsby says this, but the presence of this religious market turned many sensitive Gentiles away from the witness of Israel. The court of the Gentiles was used for mercenary business, not for missionary business. Wow. I want to say to you that Jesus comes to our personal house and he comes to our corporate house and I want to say, what's he looking for? For us to be effective as a church and as individuals in our life, we need to see what Jesus looks for. And when we look at the context of this temple and what was going on, we can easily discern what God wants to kick out and what God wants to bring in. And the first thing is definitely that God wants us to be a prayerful house. But when I talk to you about being a prayerful house, what does that mean for you? That we just, just keep, you know, petitioning and intercession and all that's included. But what is it about prayer that's so important to God and to us? He wants a prayerful house. That means not just in the corporate church, but in your life. That means that we live and breathe our relationship with God through conversation. That's what prayer is. And so the Pharisees on the outward seem to be really good prayers, but they actually wasn't actually affecting their internal world. 
And what we need to understand is that effective prayer doesn't only sound good on the outside, it affects you on the inside to change you to be more like Jesus. That's what prayer's about. It's about talking to a person and getting to know somebody to know more than about the relationship. So prayer is a relationship thing. It's about you knowing God more and you knowing yourself more. See, God doesn't need to know any more about you, but he wants you to talk. He wants you to communicate like any healthy relationship. Once communication stops, relationships fall away. And the enemy wants to rob you of your relationship with God in your communication with him. He said, but my house shall be called a house of prayer. He wants a, a prayerful house. And so prayer is a conversation with a living God who actually has the power to change lives and things. And Jesus said, if you want to be effective in prayer, then this is how you should pray. Because in the context of religious leaders, they prayed really well. They had flowing robes. They prayed extensive prayers. They prayed long prayers, profound prayers, clever prayers, but didn't actually move the heart of God. In fact, it ticked him off. How do I know? Because look at the conversations that he has with religious leaders. He says to them, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the religious leaders in the, in the synagogue and the temple. He says, for they love to stand praying in the synagogue on the street corners to be seen by others. Wow. Jesus was really good, wasn't he? Getting right in their face and telling them as it was because he... he they were stopping people coming, connecting with God. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, now he's talking to those that's hungry for God. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you need what you need before you ask him. So Jesus saying is that the kind of prayer I need in your house and your house is prayers that get specific Honest, get to the point. Pour out your heart. Ask me for what you need because I know what you need anyway. Be real. Don't put on a show. Don't try and impress people about how spiritual you are because those prayers doesn't touch heaven. Heart prayers touch me. Superficial prayers I remove away from me. Because sometimes, if you're not careful, we can do things to actually impress people. But the truth is, my dear friends, we only have one, or one person that we need to approve. And that is Jesus. Sorry, could you say that again? Yes, I'll say that again. <laughs> the only person. See, see even... See? Amazing. Thank you, Siri. I'll say that again. The only person that you have to please is Jesus. 
Amen. Be yourself. Keep it short. If you want to pray along, that's fine, but be honest. Pour out your heart, complain, do what you like. But it's a relational thing. It's you and God. And here's what the thing for me is. I love this. Listen to know what Jesus said in that. He knows you. He sees you. He hears you. And he rewards you. Now that is worth praying about. He rewards you. Prayer is relational and it's also activational. What do I mean by that? Because prayer cannot be separated from our relationship with God. It's not just kind of a religious act that we do to get off our notebook. It's a walk relationship with God. And of course you can do it privately. And of course you can do it in a closet where nobody sees you. But prayer is an every minute breath thing with you and God every day. I don't have to lock myself in a cupboard to pray to God. Now sometimes I need to get away in a room of the distractions. But I want to tell you, I pray all the time. In my heart, constantly, in my mind, to Jesus. I'm always thinking about him. I'm always asking him what to do. You might not hear it, but in here, it's constantly asking God for help. If anybody would speak to me outside the church, they'd never think that I was a pastor. But I'll tell you, they would never know what's going on inside of here. Praying in the Spirit, praying every kind of millions of prayers for these people to get God to touch their lives. Because a relationship with God is not just switch on, switch off. I don't come to church, switch on, and when I leave the church, I leave Jesus in here. It's a lifestyle. It's a living relationship with a God that has showed His grace and put His Spirit inside of me. How can I get away from Him? Why would I want to? You see, prayer is it's also activational because there is a reward. God releases his presence and his power in his prayer because the one that we pray to has the power to change things. After they prayed, Acts, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Activational prayer. God releases his power when we call out to him after they prayed. God has the ability to change things. James says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced a crop. What is James saying? He's saying, I want you to know that the person that we pray to has the power to change outcomes. See, it's not Elijah that brought the change. It was the God of Elijah. Do you remember Elisha when he picked his mantle up? Do you remember when he went to the, to the Jordan? Do you know what he said? Do you know what he said? And I've got it down here in two kings. He said, where is the God of Elijah? And threw it down and the miracle happened. See, it's not about you, it's about him. And he said, after he spoke with him, where is he? He prayed to God. When he struck the water, God moved by his power. Why? Because prayer is activational and it brings the power of God into your circumstances. And if we knew that the power of God is released from heaven, we would pray more. But when you get a religious mindset, that think, I've got to pray, just so that you feel less guilty, there is no power released in that. 
In fact, your life doesn't get energised with that either. It's only when you come into a relationship with God and you begin to call out Him. The power of God is released out of you, around you, but also in you. The power of God can change things, but it also changes you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. We can't do this without the power of God being released in us and through us. He's the one that will help us do it by his power. Listen to Acts 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unskilled, ordinary men, they were astonished that they took know that these men, listen, had been with Jesus. So there's the key to power. A relationship with God. There was unschooled, ordinary men, but they noticed something. They'd been with Jesus. So when you come to him, you can't help but something change on the outside of you. See, a religious person, after they've done all the religious stuff, there's no God around them or in them. They're just dead. It's dead wood. But when you get around people that's been with Jesus, they bring life and freedom. And those kind of people you want to keep being around. But I tell you, any religious person, you get them for two minutes, you're thinking, I'm going to avoid that person because every time I get around, I get drained. I get more in bondage. I get more like I've got to do more things to please God. And you know what? You just get hemmed in. There's no life there. And Jesus is saying, guys, you've got to make sure that you have to walk in freedom. And so God wants a prayerful house, a prayer that is relational, but also transformational. Let me tell you something. If you're telling me you're spending hours and hours with God and your life is not changing, there's something wrong with your prayer. Not many amens this morning. You cannot meet with God and something not changing you over time. I'm not talking instantly. I'm talking over time. You know, you get around someone long enough, you'll end up being like them. Something rubs off on you. I want to say to you, we've got to make sure that we're authentic, but God wants a prayerful house. People that will come to him and be honest with him and say, God, you need to release your power in these circumstances. You can change things. And also not only out there, but in here, you can make this house a place where you're pleased with. The second thing is this. He wants a dedicated house. What I wanted to say in this, he wanted a holy house, but I thought, let me find an up-to-date word that means the same thing and it doesn't sound like it's going to be oppressive. You know, holiness means dedication. It means consecration. It means different. It means that Jesus actually wants a different kind of house to the world. The Pharisees acted no differently. In fact, they were really horrid. And so when Jesus looks at the temple and he says, but you've made it a den of robbers. That's why God wants a holy house. He wants his church and our lives to be different to those that don't know God. Because you see, in the temple, they were putting people off because there was nothing like Jesus. And he had to get rid of them to say, let me show you the real me. Because when the people came to religious people, all they did was rip them off. But when they came to Jesus, he healed them. It's a big difference, isn't there? So he, he wants a dedicated house. He wants our life to be 
sold out for him, for his church, for, for your house consumes me. It's got to mean something to you. It's not just a gig on Sunday. Our life serving God has to be he's all, he is all about him and he has to be centre. And it's going to take time to move a few round, things around to make sure that happens. But it's got to be an all-in thing for us. You see, when Jesus pronounced that, before he actually went into the temple to remove that, do you know what he did? He went to a, went to a fig tree. He walked to a fig tree and he looks at it and he said, where's the fruit? There's only leaves on this tree and the Bible says he cursed it and it died. See, that was judgment taking place for the people of God because in the Old Testament, the fig tree represented Israel. And when Jesus came to earth and he went to his temple, he was looking for fruit and he only could find leaves. And I pray to God, that when Jesus looks at this church and looks at my life, that he doesn't have to fiddle around looking for fruit through a million lots of weeds and, and leaves. But he'll see something there of Jesus deposited. Some kind of fruit in our lives. Something of him through his deposit of his Holy Spirit. See, Israel had shown a religion, but no practical experience of faith resulted in godly living. We don't talk about this much in church life anymore because it's all about our experience of how good we got the Sunday service. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you, you need to live a godly life. Our standards, Jesus' standards haven't dropped. The world standards has, but Jesus hasn't. Because we, it's all right quoting anyone Christ as a new creation, prove it. Because when you come to know God, by his grace, his spirit fills your heart and change, change takes place over time. His Holy Spirit convicts, confronts and empowers you to live a life that pleases God. So I want to say to you, please, I don't want the world to reject Jesus because of the way I live for Jesus. I don't want anyone to come into this fellowship and be put off by people who they know, who lives a hypocritical life. And because of their lifestyle, it stopped them from touching the real Jesus. And so in his house, he wants godliness. He needs holiness. He needs us to be separate from the ways of the world. I'm not talking about perfection because none of us can be perfect. See, I don't want the words of Gandhi to keep repeating, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. See, there's some things in life that we have to put out of our lives, like Jesus put some people out of the temple, that there's some things that the Bible requires that we have to put out of our temple, out of our lives. And it's really clear in Scripture, this is not about condemnation, but if you're going to have a productive life, a fruitful life in your marriage, in your work, in your life, in your witness, then there's some things that you've got to get out. Because the Bible actually tells us that's our responsibility with the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 says you were taught in regard of your former ways of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, that's the will of God for us in our temple. 
Not only that are we just, you know, singing the songs, but we're living it. Our life is becoming to be more like Christ. That there's things that we've put off now that we declare that he's Lord of our life and that we make him centre of our life. And so then Paul says, right, I want you to put off some of these things as a witness, as a holy temple for me and the Lord. You must now put off falsehood. No more lying. Stealing. Unwholesome talk, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Wow. Any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. That's the kind of house that Jesus wants to see because that house is attractive to a world that doesn't know him. It's not religious it's just that the power of God has worked in our lives that I, what I used to do, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to steal. I don't need to lie. That was totally my lifestyle in the past. But God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, convicted me and changed me that I don't need to live that way anymore. And do you know now, when people come to me and ask me to do things which is unrighteous, my witness is I don't do that anymore. Because Jesus has changed me from the inside out. To put off the old self and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Church, if there's any a time in our society that the body of Christ and us as individuals need to look more like Jesus, it's now. The disappointment of leaders falling left, right and centre because of lifestyles of, of dishonesty and sin in their life and discredit in the body of Christ. More than ever now, the church needs to stand up and live holy for God. And we just can't play church on Sunday. We just can't just come in and sing the songs and knowingly go out living the life of sin. It's just not honouring to Jesus. And I'm not doing that to condemn you. I'm doing that because your life will be a mess if you keep doing it. It breaks God's heart. Because he set you free. We've heard this morning he breaks chains. But actually we've got the key to the padlock of many of our chains but we don't want to unlock the sins in our lives because we like them too much. And Jesus wants a church that honours him with their life and their hearts. Jesus reprimands the Pharisees. He said, you hypocrites, you're clean on the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and selfish indulgence. First, clean the inside of the cup, then the outside will also be clean. He said, guys, you've got it all right on the outside. Everybody thinks you're so spiritual, but I see your heart and on the inside, you're hypocrites. And unless you let me into that area of your life and change you, you'll never be effective for my kingdom. Can we change? Is Jesus bringing a bar to us that nobody can change? Is he saying to the Pharisees, you need to make sure the inside's clean? Is he saying something that's impossible for us to do? Absolutely not. Because every time Jesus confronts a problem, he always gives the solution. And the solution is given in the scripture. He said, if you remain in me and I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. 
It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. In your own strength, you can never change you. Both connection with Jesus has the power to come into your heart and bring transformation so you can be a new creation. 2 Peter 1 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us the very great promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control and forgiveness. See, holiness means different. It doesn't mean religion. Holiness doesn't mean I can't, I can't, I can't. Holiness liberates our life so we can honour God with freedom. I once was blind, but now I am free. It's an act of the power of God in our relationship with Him where He brings transformation one step at a time because the church is for not perfect people and none of us in this room are without sin but there has to be fruit developing by the power of the Spirit as we surrender our lives to Him so He can have a holy church. It means different. It's not weird. It's life-giving. It's pulling off the old and pulling on the new what's been made available for us in Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And finally, God wants a healing house. And you know something? Those people would never, ever been able to get healed if they weren't welcomed into his house. He had to get rid of the religious leaders so they could come and he healed them. And we have to be a house that's a healing house. I want to tell you that people that's going to walk through these doors in the future are going to be far from perfect. But we've got to have the grace and the mercy to reach out with them in love without compromise of our faith. We have to make sure that people know that they're loved unconditionally. But we're not going to drop our standards. We're not going to drop our, our foundational faith on Jesus and what he says in his word. And if anybody leaves this church because they say, oh no, you know, they're never going to say it because... That they don't know that we love them. You see, Jesus never dropped his standards, even with a rich young ruler. And he said to him, you know, give up everything you got and follow me. And the Bible says this. He said the rich young ruler turned away and walked away. But the Bible says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. If anybody leaves his church because of our standards, they will definitely know that we still love them. But Jesus never ran after him and says, oh, I've changed my mind. I'll lower my standards so you can follow me. He never did that. He said he allowed him to walk away because our God is a God that gives free will. And this church will know, yes, for biblical standards and what we believe and will not be moved. But I want to tell you what we'll be known for more is that we love people unconditionally and we will show them grace, the same grace that we have. Because the problem sometimes in church life is that we want people to change quicker But if you apply that to your own life, then you'll have more grace. Because actually we don't change as quick as God wants us to change. And so if you apply the principles I come to close today, 
will always keep a right heart if you'll always remember, dear people, to make sure you remove the plank out of your eye before you attempt to move somebody's speck out of theirs. Jesus' heart is for people and he loves them. And the thing is, he's given us the church the opportunity to reach the world. See, what, what really blew my mind was that when Jesus came, he introduced himself to the world. But then Jesus trusted his church now to introduce Jesus to them. What a responsibility that God has given to us. So what does he want in your house, in my house? He wants a prayerful house. He definitely wants a holy house and he wants a healing house. Stand with me. You know, Jesus in that temple was all about moving things out of the way so he could bless some people. And did you know this morning, no matter how you've come into church, God is all about moving obstacles and mindsets and disappointments and wrong conceptions out of the way so he can reach you and heal you. Did you know that? Do you know that that's God's concern today? That all he wants to do is to remove some things out of the way of your life, guilt, condemnation, past mistakes, whatever it may be in your life, God is always wanting to remove them so he can throw his healing on your life and restore your life. So in this room today, two prayers as we come to close. I'm going to pray that the power of God, because the Bible says that he healed them. You know, it's no good as just talking. God's power has got to touch our lives. And God wants to reach some of you today. Some of you may have passed disappointment with church life and people. But I want to tell you, God wants to break in and do something that only he can do by his power. And secondly, secondly, my dear church, some of you have to make some decisions to get rid of some things in your life. This is what I put, and I'm going to finish, I promise. Joshua says to the people, listen, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Wow. And I put this, at times, a better tomorrow only can come because of today's consecration and obedience. And unless you're willing to consecrate and to remove some stuff and make a decision that when you leave, some of the things that you're involved with, some of the things that you do needs to change, needs to be removed out of your life. I wanna tell you tomorrow's blessing can't come until you make those choices today. So Father, lift your hands with me. So Father, in this room, there is people that you're trying to get to today. And many obstacles have been in their way, whatever it is, religion, church, experience, past mistakes. I don't know what it is. Relationships. I know that whatever it is that sort of marred them from coming to encounter you. But Lord, would you move them out of the way today? Holy Spirit, would you bring life? Would you bring healing? Would you bring hope? Would you bring resurrection? Holy Spirit, online in this, in this meeting, moved by your Spirit right now, Lord. We ask you, God, to remove heaviness. Lord, to remove guilt and condemnation. Father, I pray that you break every chain of addiction, Lord, over people's lives today. Father, mindsets, which is ungodly. Holy Spirit, break the power, Lord, over them. In Jesus' Name, we take authority over the enemy, over your mind, over your heart, and over your life. 
over your finances, over your family in the name of Jesus. Father, we release your presence and power over every life in this room, every, every life online. Lord, we break every everything that's hindering. Lord, you come in to touch them and free them and empower them and heal them in the name of Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, renew minds, renew hearts. Lord, bring hope and life today by your Spirit. And Lord, for those in this room and online, they know in their life that you've spoken to them and they know they've got to get rid of some things in their world in their walk, in their way, something that you've got to begin to take authority, take decisions and say, that cannot be a part of my life anymore because it's not pleasing to the Lord. And I tell you, when you made that decision today, I tell you, for tomorrow, God is going to do amazing things. But you have to make a choice today for God to make room for your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you right now by your Spirit that you would do your work now Father, your word has been preached. Now, Lord, release your presence and your power over your people in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.